Hello there coaches. Today my guest is Brian Boland, Director of Tennis at Baylor University. I'm not sure Brian needs any introduction, but here are a few quick things before we get into our conversation. Brian has over 600 victories while serving as the head coach at Indiana State, Virginia and now at Baylor. He won four national championships in a five-year span while at Virginia. He has coached 13 teams who have gone undefeated in conference play at both Indiana State and Virginia and even managed one perfect season while at Virginia going 30-0 in 2013. In this conversation, we discuss Brian's early days as a coach at Indiana State, his development as a college coach, and his ability to focus. Despite Brian's obvious passion for college coaching and a never-ending resume of incredible accolades, he still has his struggles, doubts, and frustrations, just like the rest of us. I think you guys will really enjoy this one. Hello, Coach Boland. Welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Hey, David. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, great. So we're going to start with your your career at Indiana State. I think most people want to focus on your success at Virginia, but I, I'm actually fascinated by your time <laughs> at Indiana State. I think many coaches know kind of your your background and that you kind of fell into the position there at at Indiana State. It wasn't really something you'd set out to do, and and you were looking to go to law school and thought you might do it for a few years, but. You know, what, what What do you think you did so well in your first year or two at Indiana State to, to make that program, nas- uh, you know, nationally relevant for the rest of your time at Indiana State? Well, I think for, first and foremost, it's like so many things in life, um, you have to have an opportunity. And I was fortunate that, uh, you know, Larry Gallo, who was then the head of D's now at North Carolina, and Andrea Myers um, were willing to uh, give me an opportunity to go through the process, which was a recommendation from a former teammate of mine in college who, for whatever reason, decided that, you know, I would, I would do a really good job as a, as a college coach. But my intentions were 100% to go to law school, and, and I was following that path. My wife was at Indiana State, and that's how I en- ended up there, you know, as she was getting her PhD in school psychology, which she eventually finished. So when they decided to, you know, they brought in five candidates, and I was just out of school and the only one without, you know, collegiate coaching experience or very little coaching experience at all. Um, it was really, uh, it, was, it was a lengthy process, and I think it was probably five interviews and it was on the fifth interview that I went into Larry's office um, and I had articulated a vision for the program and, you know, the priorities that I would put forth and things that I thought would, would, would be effective in terms of building a program that at the time, and it was in August, only had three players on the roster. I mean, I took over not only a program that was struggling a little bit or a lot, but that was empty in terms of the, the the numbers on the team we didn't have enough players to fill the team so he had said to me look i we've gone through the process we've met we we want you to be our next coach and he said to me he said well look we've we've got some really avid tennis fans like every community does and you know they're probably not going to like this it won't be a very popular decision because you know they were thinking that you'd hire someone who has a long-term uh, experience as a head college coach or something like that mm-hmm. but um we really believe that you can do a great job for us. We like the vision that you outlined, the things that you'll prioritize. And, and I said, look, I said, look, I, I can't promise you that uh, I'm not going to continue on the path of trying to go to law school, but I will tell you that I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it a year um, and I'll give it everything I have. And I know that, and he said, look, we don't even have a, a big enough roster right now to, to fill the team. And um, so this is actually, I, I, you know, I, I got a hold of the, the some, I read it quite frankly, uh, uh, being someone that came from a legal background where pretty much everyone in my family, um, was, had gone through law school. My dad was a judge, uh, was a chief judge, uh, in, 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 in Minnesota. Uh, and so that was kind of my, my upbringing. So first and foremost, just wanted to make sure I understood the ins and outs of, of, of everything. And I, I did a lot of, uh, reading on the university itself. Uh, what, what made uh, Indiana State special? What was unique? What was their history? You know, things that that um, what, what was what, what were their strengths? You know, what, what were their strengths? And then I took a lot of time to get to know people that um, had success in other sports. Uh, you know, the, there were coaches there like Bob Warren who made the College World Series. 
Um, others uh, like Dwayne Clee, who uh, was uh, he, he actually was coached by John Wooden when he was there. He's still around. He was a basketball coach for 26 years, tennis coach, et cetera. And so I went and spent a lot of time interviewing those people. I interviewed people that were successful at Indiana State. Uh, and then I would talk to, I, I would also reach into the student body and do the same thing. You know, I wanted to hear what kind of experiences students were having, uh, what they liked, disliked, et cetera, and spend a lot of time getting a real feel for what student life is like. So I really invested um, in what were the strengths of Indiana State. And instead of focusing on all the things we didn't have, and believe me, there were a lot of things we did not have, mm-hmm. um, I focused on the things that we did have. And there were some things that we really did have, which was, um, Initially, I knew that I didn't have a fully funded uh, four and a half scholarships. So with the, I think at that time, the three that I had, the positive was it was an expensive school. So you could get more with with less in terms of uh, a kid on a 50% would be paying a lot less maybe than if you went to a Duke or something like that, he'd end up, you know, paying a half, but he'd pay as much or more than the, the entire uh, full scholarship at a school like Indiana State. So that was a real strength. Uh, it was inexpensive. Uh, I was able to effectively get people through admissions. Uh, and I think, you know, I was very fortunate from the beginning with Larry and Andy and some coaches within the department that have built relationships with. They were just great to be around, really supportive. And um, I think they knew I was, I was if I was going to do it, I was going to be all in. And so I... I did. I mean, I spent time talking to uh, anyone that would, would give me good information. I reached into the community, of course, um, as I always do, and, you know, start asking lots of questions about the community and about, you know, what their experience has been with in terms of Indiana State and supporting Indiana State. So mm-hmm. it was just building relationships, building relationships internally, building relationships externally, and going to people that had a lot of success there. And Indiana State, like any school, when you really look at it, there are going to be people that have done a really good job. So mm-hmm. I focused on that, and I focused on the things that made Indiana State special. And there were a number of other things, which mm-hmm. I can go into later. So that's kind of how it got started. Okay. And and was there one message or lesson that you remember from one of those other more experienced coaches that, that really has stood with you throughout your coaching career? Well, the first, you know, one of the, one of the first things I did, and I, and I should have mentioned this too, is I drove up and Bobby Bayless loves to tell a story, but this was my first day in the job before I even started the process of getting involved in the, the school, the community, I went up and spent, you know, a, a day with Bobby and I think I got there at like 6am, 7am and I followed him around for a long time. And you know, Bobby, I mean, mm-hmm. he could talk and, <laughs> and he's also someone who, you know, would share and just mm. be so transparent and open, you know, the great thing about having guys like Bobby Bayless in the game is, and, and I'll never forget or stop appreciating those efforts of, of guys like him that serve the game. And it's, it's bigger than their own situation, which is hard to do. And I, and, and I, and I give Bobby and others who've done so much for the, for, for what's great for the game, a lot of credit for mentoring young coaches. And I try to do the best I can to give back in that way. When coaches, young yeah. coaches call and ask questions, I'm really transparent, but Bobby was just an open book. Mm-hmm. So he gave me everything that he could possibly give me in the time I was there, but then he would, he'd be on the call. He'd be on a phone with me all the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, he would take calls and, and anyone who knows Bobby Bills, well, he spent like a, you know, half a century in the game, you know, college <laughs> tennis and, 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 and he, he loved mentoring. He loved serving and he, he believed in me. I think he believed that I had the energy, the, mm. the intelligence, the, the, the leadership skills and the love of the game to, 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 to build a great program. So I think the things that stood out the most were again, to, I think more than anything, you know, going back to what I needed to do to serve the AD, which was to make sure that we were able to feel um, the, the proper team. But I, but I think there were, the, well, there, it was twofold. Some characteristics I just had, which were, you know, I was very gritty and I was persistent and I was, you know, someone who loved, you know, communicating and building relationships. But, but I also think there were a lot of things regarding um, day-to-day operations of a collegiate tennis program that, that I had to learn. And I think more than anything, um, to try to be willing to do the right thing, but not um, overthink, you know, mistakes that you're inevitably going to make as you're learning, but, mm. but try to learn from those mistakes, you know? So, you know, and always, uh, as you go down this path of, of learning to deal with young people is to make sure that I became a great, great listener of what's important to them and, and to make it, make sure that I understand, um, you know, that, that, what ultimately, what, what ultimately I needed to do was to, 
listen and guide and ask a lot of questions and become really, really willing to invest deeply into my players and, and build those relationships and to build that relationship of trust, which isn't profound, but that's something that more than anything is going to stand out for any coach. But if you don't have that trusting relationship with a player, it doesn't matter what you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, it's, it's, uh, they they need to know that you care before they care what you know, you know, and I think that is probably the the foundation of it all and, and making sure that that was something that I really was willing to put the time and effort and energy into. And that kind of came natural to me as well. But when I looked at what Bobby was doing and what other coaches that were, were really good at what they do, aside from understanding the, the game, being able to manage multiple things in one day and multitask and so on. Um, it was the, it was a willingness to put the energy into the relationships with the players and, and others mm. and, and, and a build a trusting relationship. So yeah. I think I did a really good job of that. Not only with uh, the fellow coaches in the state with the community, but most of all the players that came into the program. And I think I recruited, it was hard, you know, I mean, I spent countless hours trying to build a team. I had, I think I brought in, six new players in January that year. <laughs> and we went on to have a reasonably good year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like it, we finished the year and Larry brought me in and I thought, well, you know, he said, you know, he, he said this to me and I'll never forget. And he said, you know, Brian, I've done some thinking and this just isn't going to work. And I said, wait a minute here. We, we had three players at the beginning of the year. I'm enjoying it. I'm getting positive feedback. We have nine players on the team. We were picked to finish last in the conference of what, 10 or 11. We finished third. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm enjoying it. You know, I could put law school on hold. And he says, here's what's going to happen. He said, if you stay in this profession, I have no doubt in my mind that if you desire, you will coach the best team in the country someday. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. Wow. <laughs> so you have somebody who's your boss yeah, who believes in you. And he said, I don't know because of that, if we'll be able to hang on to you forever, nice. um, we'd love to, but I don't believe that's going to be possible. So, but obviously we'd like you to stay here as long as you're willing. Mm-hmm. And that was when I really got started. So I did it a second year. We went finished second in the conference space, second year. Then we won the conference championship for the first time in school history. Yeah. Uh, in 1999, and then after that, we we started getting in the top 25, top 20, and and by the time a couple of years later, I was recruited to go through the process, similar interview process with Virginia, which mm-hmm. was really uh, lengthy and and in competitive, and and came away with ending up going to Virginia, which had a, a you know a reasonably good program in the ACC, but certainly there was a lot of work to do, but the potential I thought was amazing. And, and that's where I started. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep dragging you back to Indiana state cause I'm just fascinated <laughs> by your time there. But, you know, I actually, I played against one of your teams at the blue gray event. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but the, the level of talent was, was, was so high. And, and yep. it's, it's so at such a young age, how did you figure out not, not only recruiting the recruiting of the players to Indiana State but also identifying the 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 players of that level of talent that could come in and make your your program so successful so I'm interested in in both how did you identify them because we didn't have the the tools the UTRs and the TRNs that we have these days so how did you firstly identify them and then how did you convince them to come to Indiana State, where I'm sure they had plenty of great options. I mean, right. lovely weather, facilities, stronger traditions, all the rest of it. So, yeah, it's, yeah I'm interested yeah. in both sides of the recruiting there for you at such a young age. Well, I think I, I think first and foremost, as I said, I, I I did a lot of I put a lot of time into understanding, you know, what were the strengths of Indiana State and what made the place special, what made others. Um, uh, succeed within their uh, programs um, and have and have a great deal of success. I mean, teams that were uh, over time, you know, competing at a high level of Division One athletics, whether it was our basketball team at one point or, like I said, our baseball team had some great runs, et cetera. So, again, being resourceful, you know, learning and understanding the school and 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 really listening to the things that make it what it is. And every place has special things, you know. And that's when people always ask me, you know. You know what? What? What is this a great job? Is this a good job? And I'll say, well, it, it's really as great as you're going to make it mm. in some level. And then the other, the other uh, question I would ask is, you know, who's your leadership? So I had really, really strong leadership 
I mean, Larry was at Notre Dame prior to that. That's how I ended up getting to know Bobby. Um, and, and Larry was willing to put time into me, you know, as was Andy Myers, who was terrific. And we're still close friends to this day. She works with the, I think, NCA on some uh, issues and compliance uh, in retirement. She's terrific. And, and I've really enjoyed that lifetime relationship. She's, she's been a great leader. And uh, it's, they were willing to put time into me. So I had great leaders and I was really resourceful. And I had people that, so I think I understood how to sell the school and to mm-hmm. sell the program, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then I think, um, you know, the other thing is just being, being willing to put a lot of time in to learn, you know, like, so I'm much more efficient now, but I can be, you know, because right. I don't have to bury through, you know, understanding, uh, you know, having to recruit, like, you know, now, of course the program is different. The level mm-hmm. of player that I'm looking at is different, et cetera. I have a lot of experience, but you know, I'd have to recruit a lot of guys, to kind of try to narrow down where everybody was at. And, and it, it was really, really hard, but I was willing to put the time in to call uh, people that, you know, that could help and, and could answer questions that had experience, whether they were coaches or coaches that worked with the players or, or others who understood the business. Um, so I think I was really gritty, you know, I was mm. extremely gritty and I was, uh, I was very disciplined. And uh, I think I had an innate ability to, uh, to, to really uh, m- utilize the resources externally and people in the game who maybe didn't know me that well, but that I was persistent in trying to get a hold of and mm-hmm. asking a lot of questions and listening and taking a lot of notes. And, and I put, you know, I'll be candid. I mean, I put an unbelievable amount of hours in, you know, mm-hmm. I was making very little money. Uh, I was not interested at the time of doing anything, but doing a great job in that and studying for the LSAT at times. Mm-hmm. But then I just started falling in love with it and it, it went well. And I kept learning and getting positive feedback and I enjoyed college, the, you know, like, you know, the opportunities we had as coaches to have an impact on these guys, get four years. Um, felt really comfortable uh, with that age group, with the college players and, and, you know, like the impact that you have on a daily basis uh, is, is amazing. You know, I go to work every day to the, every day and I can't wait because, because I know what the substance that involved, you know, and, and, and everything that you do and say is going to, is going to make a difference for, for positive or negative. And, and uh, I love that responsibility and I, I recognize it right away. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I think in some ways it was something that came natural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really, I wanted to learn, you know, I was, re- I became more and more intrigued and I was willing to reach out aggressively to people that had a lot of experience and not be bashful about it. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have any problem picking up the phone and ever calling a dick cool. Mm-hmm. No problem. <laughs> you know, I, I remember a guy who became a really fierce competitor of mine that I would call and mm-hmm. I'd call uh, Jay Lapidus. Well, when I came to the ACC, you know, we were very competitive with each other. Um, <laughs> yeah. The same goes with Andy Jackson and others. You know, I was just, I was really, really, and at that time, you know, I wasn't, I was at Indiana State. We were just building a program. We, you know, weren't very competitive outside the Missouri Valley Conference. And, you know, those people were really helpful. Yeah. And, and many of them, which are, you know, are still friends that are helpful today. But, but, but again, I think as you become more competitive, mm-hmm. people become a little bit more, you know, okay, I think, I think, uh, you know, uh, I've done enough to help that guy. <laughs> yeah. So I think that those things help me, you know, just really learn, really gritty. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that kind of leads me to, to my next question is, is I feel like sometimes coaches, young coaches, they, they think there's some like magical key out there and there's some formula um, you know, to recruiting and leadership and success in the court. But I think when I, when I look around and I look at coaches like yourself and other coaches that have had succeeded at a really high level consistently over, over a number of years, I feel like those individuals have just, they've set their, their own vision. They, they've set their own path. They've absolutely tried to learn as much as they can, but they're, they're, they've just worked towards their own vision and, and haven't been deterred by it and just worked tirelessly towards that. So, uh, um, you know, am I correct in saying, is this how you went about it? I mean, how, how do you encourage young coaches to find that balance between, you know, learning from others and taking ideas from others, but also staying true to their own vision and knowing that there's, there isn't some magical formula out there, grab as much information as you can, and then, you know, implement that where you can, but, but keep your head down and just work your ass off. I mean, how, how do you, how do you yeah, tell no, that to young coaches? That- 
no, I, I, that's, I mean, that's so true. And it was told to me many times as we tell our own players, you know, play within yourself, still be yourself. You know, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, at some point, you know, as, as a coach, you better understand that as you coach different players is that, you know, they, they all have their own identity, right? And they need to use certain strengths that, that they, that, that allows them to be their best and, 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 and continue to make those things great and play with your strengths. So, you know, look, and that's what I tell my players all the time. You know, people will read something, um, and all of a sudden it becomes, you know, the, the, the gospel in a sense, you know, you have to be really careful about that because you still, at the end of the day, you take things in from different people, mm-hmm. but you're at a certain stage where you have to then decipher what you're ready to do and what you're not ready to do or what comes a little bit more natural and that will work at the given time and what you need to do it. So I think more than anything, I've always had this ability as well. I, I think from very early probably from my parents, but I'm, I've always been super laser focused. Like I just, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, it's very hard to get me distracted. So I don't, there's a lot of, especially in today's world. I mean, I think it's even harder today, but it's always been the case, but I think that's always been something that that's helped me. And, and if I think there's one characteristic that stands out, not only in the past, but in today, that's certainly one of them. And, and, and look at the social media and the mm-hmm. disruptions and distractions and things go on today. But look, I have a, an ability when, when I, when I get my eye on something, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, you know, we want to be uh, concerned about uh, what others think, you know, I think that's important, but not consumed by it. I think where you need to be more consumed are the people on your team, right? Your family, you know, the people that you live every day with. Right. So um, I think sometimes we become consumed by the things that we can't control. (laughs) And I think I was very good at becoming concerned, but not consumed. And I never have been consumed. I'm super laser focused. Hmm. I'm not, I'm very hard to distract. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's really important to be willing to take some risks um, within reason. Uh, I think that you, you can't be afraid to put yourself out there making mistakes and, and, and be willing to think for yourself too. You know, uh, be creative, think outside the box. I mean, that's something that I encourage young coaches to do, you know, like, yes, follow other people's lead. Okay. But don't be afraid to try different things, you know, that may be unique to you or something that, that is useful. I think, I think you look at all successful people, and outside of just the things you hear all the time, the daily disciplines and, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to, to, to uh, inspire others and all this stuff. But this, this ability to take some risks, think outside the box, and just that unbelievable laser focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that takes, I think, years and years to develop. And um, I think I've, I probably had that at a pretty early age. I mean, I was right. probably to a fault. Right. <laughs> it was no. hard to distract me. <laughs> no, I mean, no. I used to be able to, I was always amazed how long I could, I could stay on to something and do it over and over and over, no matter how painful it was. I'm not as good at that now as I used to be. Not even close. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why that is. <laughs> yeah. No, look, uh, every, everybody is different and, and we've got our strengths and weaknesses, but what were maybe some of, of your weaknesses then when you, when you started your career at Indiana state and then maybe moved on to Virginia, was there something that, you know, an area that you were weak in that you recognized early on and, and maybe how did you go about developing that weakness or did you, just double down on your strengths? Well, I think I doubled down on my strengths for sure. Mm-hmm. But I also, uh, I, I, I don't like to dwell on weaknesses, but you certainly want to recognize them. And I think naturally you, one of the things that I think was, was a clear weakness is, is you can't buy experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just can't, you know, like I, when I was a 23, 24 year old head college coach, I don't think I really understood and rightfully so that, um, how valuable that was going to be over time. And I think that from an efficiency standpoint, you know, I put my time in because I had to, to learn the hard way in those, in, in some ways, you know, it just took longer. It was all new. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think just the ability to, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I think uh, the insecurity sometimes would come out in terms of not being as certain, you know, and, and that's natural as well. So in many ways I would, overcoach. Okay. I would talk too much about tennis. I, uh, I would kind of, you know, want to make sure that I was, instead of really, uh, making sure that I taught them to believe in themselves, I spent too much time trying to get them to believe in me. Mm. And I think at the end of the day, the best athletes, the best players are those that have leaders that ultimately get that young person to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. rather than to get them just to believe in the coach. 
And I think that insecurity sometimes would come out. So that would mean overcoaching, you know, overtalking, making those mistakes sometimes and on the core practice changeovers, et cetera, where I probably wasn't as efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have the instincts that I do today. You know, I, th- I think, you know, people ask me all the time, how do you do this? How do you put this doubles lineup together? How do you put your team together? And Sometimes you just have to, you, you, you have enough experience where your instincts, you go with your instincts, you know, like right now, you know, how am I putting my doubles teams together this spring? Well, my gut eventually is going to, I'm going to feel it just mm-hmm. like a player would, right? Like they go through the repetition, right. they do the drills, they do the training, they go through the process. But when it's, you know, when it's a big point, it's five all in the third or, you know, whatever, and, and you're playing to clinch the match. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when your experience and instincts click in, right? And you have mm-hmm. to trust them. And have you been kind of in a position where you've been taught to do that? And that's kind of the question. And, and I think I do a much, you know, I do a way better job of that today, but, but I think I struggled with that and it took a while. And, mm-hmm. and, and I always ask players, you know, that played for me early on, I always say like, why did you stay? You know, it's kind of funny. Like <laughs> how, how did you guys put up with me? You know what I mean? I would do my crazy early morning workouts and I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was pretty overbearing. Um, you know, and, and probably trying as they say, sometimes when I should have been in first year, I was mm-hmm. in fifth gear because, yeah. you know, just over trying and, you know, making sure that, you know, trying to overly control, you know, when you try to control everything, you control nothing sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but I think that was something that I had to learn to do. And, and that's important too, because at the end of the day, if you're trying to get players to believe in themselves, they have to know that the person that's, in, in, that's guiding them, uh, you know, trust them. Mm-hmm. There's that trust. And if you're trying to control everything, um, you're not really reminding them that you trust them. Right. <laughs> so, right. so I think that took a lot of time. Um, and that was probably just from a lack of experience and those insecurities that come out, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you always have them. All coaches are vulnerable. All coaches are insecure. And that was the other thing I think I really struggled with was, you know, and, and it wasn't because Bobby, I and Bobby just, you know, looking back, I mean, he just, he was completely transparent. But one of the things he said, don't ever apologize for, you know, not having as much experience as some of these guys. Cause I can tell you that's sort of just, it's all, and you should do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I, I, I think, um, you know, that, that advice, um, was, was, is, is, is really, really helpful because I, I think, you know, that process of learning to, uh, realize not so much, uh, of, 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 of trying to convince the guys that, you know, Hey, look, I, I, I know this, I, I can help this and that, that, that you're instilling a real belief mm-hmm. within them. And, and so I, and I think, I think the guys were most impressed with, uh, well, pr- the, just the sheer willpower. I mean, the willingness to learn the willingness to, uh, go to the extra mile. Um, they, they knew that I was all in, they knew I was right. passionate. They knew that I was, you know, uh, willing to, to learn the, the, the thing I would tell anybody. And I think this is true with people that are highly successful in any walk of life is I think vulnerability is really important. And I was unable to show that I was vulnerable. So mm-hmm. in other words, if a player back then would say, are you nervous? I mean, I'd be like, are you kidding? I mean, I'm, I'm ice, you know, I'm not nervous at all, you know, or, mm-hmm. or that I had a hard time kind of showing the human side of me, right. You know, but we're, we're look, we all fear, we all have anxiety, we're, we're human, you know, yeah. and those that say they don't, they have more. So, so, and, and I did say I did, and I had more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that does ring true, you know? So I think just that ability to, to, to be human, to show you're vulnerable, but I think the guys understood. I mean, I was young. I was uh, trying hard, you know, they appreciated the effort. I was never, you know, I was always on time. I controlled things pretty well that I could. And they never say, Hey, my coach isn't willing to Mm. put the effort in. That was for damn sure. (laughs) Right. right. No, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's going to be great for young coaches to hear that even the great Brian Boland was a little insecure at times and and had some doubts. So so, well there, no, no, I appreciate you, you saying that. So it sounds like you're, you're you're a true expert in not only asking the right questions of others but but asking questions of yourself and and developing that self-awareness and that recognition of what you're doing well and not doing so well so where is that something you've developed with time that ability to ask the right questions or is that something you've learned or or how again could coaches maybe think about how to ask better questions of themselves yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that in itself is a great question. So I think that's really, really important. I look at people that are highly successful in life and I think they really become unbelievable listeners mm-hmm. um, to the people that, that work for them, with them, et cetera. Um, 
And then they also learn to listen to themselves, you know, and I think I've, I've had great opportunities in my life. I, I taught a class uh, with the Dean of the uh, business school, the MBA program at the university of Virginia called leadership and sport and business. Oh, and it was a Socratic form of teaching. So mm-hmm. we had uh, what they considered the brightest uh, students uh, in the, at the university that you'd have to apply to get in the class. And we mm-hmm. took 16 of them. And then we would bring in the likes of Tony Bennett and other leaders around the university. Uh, Ty Donmore came a couple of times, Bronco, who's now the current football coach there, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and, but the, the, the rule in the class was that as leaders of the class, uh, Dean Scott Beardsley and myself, he was a partner in McKenzie for 24 years in Europe and great tennis guy, just a wonderful person lives on the lawn. And he's still the dean of the MBA program there, the Darden School. Uh, we teamed up to teach this class. It was all Socratic form. So we could only ask questions. And that just reinforced everything that my father taught me at a very young age is that learning to, and he, he was a coach for a very brief time. He loves to tell me he only coached one season in hockey and he was undefeated. And that's actually true. He never coached again. Wow. He was 30, you know, he was, he was, my father was 30, you know, he loved the law, yeah. he loved the legal system. Everything about everything for him was was legal. I mean, he just loved it. I mean, he he went on, spent his life not only he when he retired. This guy was so passionate. He he moved to Kabul with my mom to teach uh, the, the, a legal system to the Afghans. Oh my God. And then he spent a year with war crimes, et cetera, in Bosnia, working on behalf of the government. Then he came back and to get rid of some of the frivolous lawsuits uh, that go through our court system. He spent time being a mediator. For, oh you know, these lawsuits that just filled up the court systems. Yeah. So at a very young age, you know, I, he, he was really, really good. He's a great listener and he had an uncanny ability to ask the right questions mm-hmm. and ask questions to steer you to where he wanted or thought you should go mm-hmm. and yet still make it feel like it was your idea. I mean, mm-hmm. it just was incredible. And I, and I think that ability uh, that he kind of would do with me and, and ask those questions and steer me to where he kind of wanted me to end up and ask one question on top of another. Whew, that was not a, not a condescending or, or un, unreasonable way, but just kind of a, with the right tone. I think that helped me at a young age. And I think it helped me really discover and learn to believe in myself. Right. And my brothers and sisters who all, all have gone on to be incredibly successful in their own right. I mean, some of the things that, I mean, you talk about extrinsic success. I can't match up to, to either of my brothers for anything. I mean, those guys have done unbelievable things in the world. And so, so I look at, I look at that and then teaching that class with Scott, I mean, you know, just in the middle of my time at Virginia, just another reinforcement of how important it is to learn, to listen to others and really even, and I say this, I told this to my assistant coaches, look, a players need to be heard, okay? Because they need to know, even if you disagree with them, you have to give them the proper time to explain it all, okay? And then for them to actually know that you took the time to think about it. Even if you're 99.9% sure you're never going to agree, you actually allow that process maybe to go through a night. Let me sleep on that and think about it and get back to you tomorrow. Yeah. And then you come back with a formula to say, okay, heard what you said, thought about it. What have you thought about it this way? Mm. Imagine now that now you gain respect because they actually believe that, hey, the guy listens to me and he took the time to put some thought into it. Mm-hmm. But it's those of us who just interrupt and the player immediately is like, I can't be hurt. Right. And that, that makes it tough for people. That makes it tough. Yeah. No, that's, that's great advice, Brian. And, and, uh, switching gears a little bit just kind of onto developing programs but you said earlier that at indiana state you didn't have the full allotment of scholarships and i think that was the case at virginia as well i, I don't think you had mm-hmm. 4.5 so yeah I, I know a lot of coaches listening are, are sitting on you know uh, programs that that don't have a full allotment or, or are not fully funded how how would you encourage those coaches or what process could they maybe start considering to moving in the direction of increasing their scholarship count or, or getting to that full allotment, which you did at, at Virginia? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you know, it, eventually I was able to, in my fourth and fifth years, uh, fourth year at Virginia, I was able to get a full allotment. The first few years we had three. Mm-hmm. I'm still on a very competitive team, but as I said, I think one thing that was a strength there was that the school was less expensive than others. Um, but more than that, I was also... You know, I, th- I think what you learn over time is if you 
uh, are able to uh, explain to people, and and you have to believe it, and you have to really put some thought into it. Is why should why should they invest in this process if they can? Um, and 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 to be, and I think it's important for people to understand, like you know, this is where we're at, and this is how the system works, and and to be you know brutally upfront about what how it works just this is how the system works i mean mm-hmm. and i would say that with everything i mean you know i i think that's true with with you know i don't i i do that eventually i can tell you so many recruiters when i would go in and i spend a lot of time especially initially when i get into a home visit when i've gone through the process for a bit just explaining how the system works in college tennis and what are the rules what are the rules that we all have to be aware of okay there's yeah. the contacts and all that so just explain it because it's amazing how many people don't know so then they, they kind of learn to build trust, right? Like th- that's really, really important. Like, you know, I think that they're, they're learning to build trust and, 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 and finding ways to make them believe that this is worth investing in and how putting an investment into it, if they can, is going to be um, a huge positive. You know, it, 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 the last thing I tell people this all the time, a good deal is not someone feeling great and someone feeling bad. A good deal is both parties feel good. Mm-hmm. And so that's the place you want to get to if you can. And, and it's different for everyone because you may be dealing with a family that has extreme means, right? So they have an incredible amount of income. So you explain to them how valuable their, uh, you, you know, their son or daughter would be, I should say son, because the, mm-hmm. the women have the eight, but how valuable their son uh, would be to the program, because not only is he going to probably and likely have a major impact, uh, but he's going to be part of a better team because mm-hmm. he, he's, he doesn't need the scholarship. So he's, you know, let's say he's playing in the top three and he's on books. Well, he's probably <laughs> the most valuable player on the team. If you look at it from that business standpoint, and I think just being really, and, and I think the kids who get themselves in the worst situation, you see this with recruiting agencies, uh, you see this with young people that oversell themselves, the parents that oversell them or coaches that mm-hmm. oversell or, or whatever. What happens is, is in a, in a, in a situation with college tennis, you, you've paid someone, uh, let's say a, a, a big scholarship, 75% or something like that. And, and they come in, but there's no way they could ever meet those expectations. They could never, you know, they probably won't even make the lineup, but they've oversold themselves, uh, you know, and, and you, you haven't had a conversation where it's just completely transparent about kind of where you're at, where you're, you know, what you, where, where your head's at, what's important to you, et cetera, and, and this and that. And, and those are the disasters, right? right? Those are the situations. That, and so I think the more you can get out in front of things mm-hmm. uh, early on, the better. And, you know, look, I, I, I think I do this better than ever. But if, if I know that I'm limited in what I have left, I mean, I get to that as, as quickly as I can. And I try to do it in a way that, you know, this is still worth the investment if you can afford it. Um, so I think that's really, you know, and, and people would say all the time, like, you know, like at Indiana State, no, nope, financial aid was not part of it. You know, I didn't have, there wasn't academic opportunities really at the time in terms yeah. of scholarships for that. At Virginia, I started out with three scholarships. I think we got around the top five in the country with three. <laughs> um, won the ACCs and, and, you know, again, very attractive school, lots of reasons to go to Virginia, mm-hmm. great academic school traditions, et cetera. So you could sell that. And a lot of parents were attracted to, to those sort of things and were willing to make that investment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have, you know, there was no really, the financial aid wasn't anything. I, you know, I don't know if I, can't really say I ever had a lineup player that had, you know, financial aid or the academic scholarships was really tough. So you just have to, and I think patience, you know, patience, making yeah. sure that you don't just make a decision because you want to get it over with. And if you do that, uh, just be aware that you got to live with it mm-hmm. or you're going to end up, you know, like, you know, you have all these transfers and that's something I'm very proud of is you know, I mean, I've hardly any transfers in, in almost a quarter century of being a college coach. I mean, I've had a, a few yeah. uh, for, you know, girlfriends or majors or something like that, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's been probably under five. Wow. Um, and, and, and I think that's because the homework's done ahead of time and yeah. I'm really, really transparent about it all. But again, you know, it's hard. And, 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 and I have so much respect and admiration for those who say, gosh, I just hate, you know, trying to, 
you know, deal with this four and a half. I, I do understand. I have great empathy for it. I mean, it's hard, but, but I think it's something that you gotta, you gotta try to turn it spin into a positive and look at it as, you know, turning it into a, a positive, just yeah. trying to find ways to, to make the most with less, you know, I think that's, that's right. pretty important. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, it sounds like that's something you've done extremely well. And as, as you've, you know, built championship winning programs, I mean, you know, what, what is it, have you taken it kind of one block at a time? Have you sat down and it's okay, here's my three, five, six, ten year plan. Is it, you know, looking at all the different areas of program and bringing them all up, you know, 3%, you know, gradually each year? Or is it, okay, these are the couple of things I need to tackle in year one and then I'll get to these other these other priorities, these mid-range priorities in year two, three, four? How, how maybe take us through just at Virginia, you know, what what you prioritized early in your your um you know coaching career there and building a a championship winning team yeah well i think and this isn't anything that's going to be a surprise but again just surrounding yourself with people that you can build relationships with that have been successful in that school at in that town or in life for that matter you know you go to these universities and you know just being at baylor i mean there are people here that have done absolutely extraordinary things and, and it's true in every university right like yeah. there's resources here that are just extraordinary i mean they're just amazing you know people in, the, in fact we had a guy uh recently come in here that you know uh, you know did things ran a ran an airline and he's the ceo of an airline and you know did, you know being exposed to those people and kind of learning what makes them tick and how they lead and work with people and so on. And so you're in a university setting. It's an educational setting. There's people that want to teach. They want to give, they want to learn, they want to get back. Mm-hmm. So I think being really um, resourceful in that sense. And then, and then of course, you know, making sure that you uh, focus more than anything on what the strengths that you have rather than what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to Virginia and I'm thinking, all right, well, scholarships isn't, isn't an issue. The assistant coaching salary at the time was like 5,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. that wasn't very good, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that was a while ago, but we went, we were far cries from that today. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, those were things, but, but what was a reasonable timeline to be able to, uh, to deal with those issues was probably going to take some time, right? You're talking about, you know, trying to get the scholarship to four and a half, which happened in my fourth year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same goes for the assistant coaching salary, you know, to get it in where someone can make a living, yeah. right? So you're better off not hiring anybody than hiring uh, bad work. Mm. Okay. So, so you got to surround yourself with quality. You got to surround yourself with people that otherwise you just end up doing it over. Right. to become even less efficient. So, so I thought I did a really good job of, of being realistic on, on those. I wrote strategic plans like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. But as much as I believe in writing practice plans, strategic plans, speeches, all those things that you prepare for, I like outlines. But I think at the end of the day, one of the things that I've always done is, is, is been a, had a great ability to adapt and adjust mm-hmm. and to allow my feel to drive me, my gut to drive me more than anything. Um, so that's been something that I think has, has helped me. So yes, I've made plans. I've made priorities. Obviously you got to recruit, surround yourself with great character players that have lots of potential that really are eager to No, it's not a ready-made product. It's not like a Virginia today where, you know, Andres has an amazing tradition or some of these other schools like Stanford. And that's a great thing. I mean, some kids, they're, they're attracted to that, but it's not for everybody, right? Some people get really excited about being part of that process of building. Mm-hmm. So you paint that picture, right? So, so you know, that attracted the likes of Doug Stewart and Rylan Rizza and, right. uh, you know, Chris Gagnier and Darren Cohen and Nick Mythaller. I mean, th- those guys really wanted to do something special and Virginia never had that kind of success. So, I was able to do it. And fortunately for me, those kids and those parents had some means, so they would come for less. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's, that's part of the process. So I, I, you know, I, I don't, I can't sit and say, okay, well, this is first priority, second priority, but I can tell you this more than anything. And this is not a surprise in leadership. Surround yourself with great people that you are willing to listen to and ask lots of questions okay. that are successful in what successful in the, the area that you are in mm-hmm. um, or just general characteristics in life that make them successful in what they do and, and willing to listen and ask questions and 
and, and, and be aggressive in going after that. I mean, I've always been, that's why I've had people in my life and I've always said, yes. Um, there have been a number of young coaches, whether it's division three, rarely ever talked to too many of my peer competitors, which is fine. Um, I do talk to a lot of coaches in other sports and very close friends with Tony Bennett, the basketball coach at Virginia, remain very close friends. Uh, number of football coaches. We just lost Matt rule to the Carolina Panthers here. I developed a great relationship mm-hmm. with him. I think he's a fantastic leader. Um, so I've really learned a lot from other coaches in other sports and I could name uh, dozens of them that I've built great relationships with, but, but the peer competitors in the tennis world, not as much. Um, it's probably something I need to put more time into, but a lot of like young, ambitious division three, division two, uh, you know, assistant coaches, et cetera. I mean, I've been more, you know, I look back and think to myself, how can Bobby Bayless do what he did for me and me not re- do the right. same to get back? I mean, that's that, So I I'm open. I mean, if, yeah. if I have a young coach call me almost to a fault, I mean, I've had coaches come in and, and follow me around for three days. Yeah. I mean, that's hugely gratifying. Like, I love it. You know, I was supposed right. to have one. I think I have one coming in in a week from now from a D3 powerhouse, you know. Right. So I'm not encouraging everyone to call me tonight, <laughs> but, 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 but I, I am going to have a hard time saying no. Yeah. Because I think it's one of the most, um, it's one of the most meaningful and enjoyable things that you can do is yeah. give back and, and to have an impact. But you think about it. If you're impacting that young coach, okay, because look, there's coaches of the top 10 of every sport, including athletics, that have done enormous good for lots of young people who go on to have success in life and in their sport and, and meet their dreams and goals. But there's a lot of coaches that have won lots of championships that have done a lot of damage because they have a big platform, right? Yeah. So it can go both ways. So some of these guys that are coaching, you know, D3 or a lower division one school that maybe doesn't have the same same opportunities and so on. Those are some of the greatest leaders imaginable. I mean, those are some of the greatest coaches ever. So what I've learned over time is you can learn a heck of a lot from them too. Mm-hmm. It's not just them coming in me and saying, okay, here's the blueprint of how you do it. I mean, mm-hmm. you just create collaboration. And before you know it, you're like, this is one of the smartest people I've ever met. <laughs> and he doesn't even know it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> By yeah. the way, you turn to him and say, you know what? You're really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So, so, so in the same vein, then what, what are some of the mistakes or misplaced priorities? Do you think some young, you know, head coaches are making as, as you kind of look around or as you're speaking or mentoring some of these coaches, what, what are some of the, the, the mistakes that you're like, Oh my God, like how, you know, how are they making that decision or why do they keep doing that? Or is there anything that keeps coming? Yeah. Up? And I think it's true with even a lot of coaches that, you know, maybe have, uh, you know, really quote unquote successful program. So I think, I think being really purposeful about what you're doing, I think that's really important. There's so much to do. There's so many ways in which you can have an impact and make your program and your community and, 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 and just make such a positive difference that your time and energy is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And so to make sure that you're not just doing it because that's what you think you're supposed to do, but actually looking at your situation mm-hmm. and, and saying, okay, here's the puzzle right now. Here's seven, 12, 18 open pieces how, where do I, how do I put those in the right places? And it, when I'm going out and I'm recruiting, am I just going to go or what, what is my, what's my end game? Yeah. You know, what's my agenda? What's my purpose? You know? So I think that it, it's, it, it can be extremely uh, empty and draining to, to do those things and feel like you're not, at least it was for me when I went through it a bit is, you know, when you spend a lot of time doing something and you feel like you're just doing it because you're supposed to do it mm-hmm. without really having the why, why am I doing this? What's my end game? And what's my strategy? Do I have actually a plan as to what I'm going to try to do when I get there, but still the willingness to adapt and adjust, but to have some kind of agenda an end game of what you want to come away. So when you get back on that plane, after you spent, you know, five days, seven days, or, or even two days, so that's a lot of time and energy that you've actually come away with, you know, something that you can fill up with that you, you feel like you didn't just waste your time. I mean, right. I, I don't think there's anything for me more stressful in the world. You know, people say, you know, you think, uh, you know, I don't look at this as a ton of pressure. Okay. I'll tell you what I think is really stressful. And, and I mean this wholeheartedly is when right. I feel like I'm not making a difference or that I'm not using my time well or that I'm spending a lot of time at something where I'm not, uh, that, that I'm not making great use of my time. And when that, when that circle starts to happen, I really, really struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, that's me. And I, and I don't think that, I don't think that's 
that different than some others, you know, like right. if you're, you know, and, and David, I said this to you, you, you it's clear to me, you've come to, into the Intercollegiate Tennis Association and had an, an enormous impact, immediate impact in your leadership and your giving to the community and your new programming and working with Tim Russell to make a huge impact at college tennis. I mean, I told you that when we first initially got on phone because I mean it. I mean, I can see your impact every day and your effort and so on. And, and that's fulfilling. That gets you more excited. Mm-hmm. That makes you more creative. I mean, look, you know that it, regardless of what you get paid, because we all know at the end of the day, you know, that's really never been my drive. I feel very lucky, but that's never been my drive. My drive is I know that I'm doing something right when I can't sleep past six o'clock in the morning because I can't wait to get to work. Mm. And that's where I'm at today. I can't wait to get to work. <laughs> I love my job. I love, love, love working at Baylor University in the Hood Center. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so to me, that's because I know my why. I know why I do it. I feel like I'm having an impact. And I always know what my what what, what are three or four things mm-hmm. that I'm going to get done today. Right. Period. And I think that's important. Otherwise, you become empty and you just spin in circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you need help doing that. You know, it's easy for me to sit here and say that because I've been doing this for 25 years. But mm-hmm. but I think it's you know in college tennis, I think it's really hard for a young coach. And that's why I would encourage those young coaches to look at those around their area or within the university and say you know, he or she is really, really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And I need to aggressively, persistently find out how. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, no, I, I know I've taken up a huge amount of your time here, Brian, and, and I appreciate your, your kind words as well. And uh, I think we've we've covered uh, so much here. I mean, look, I, I think I'd love to do a round two maybe with you later in the summer when you get through your season, because uh, I've I have many more questions here, but but let's sure. uh, let's put a pin in it here and, and come back to it at a later date. But thank you so much for yeah. for sharing and and like I said, being being a little vulnerable and letting us know uh, some of the struggles yeah. that you've gone through. But uh, there's there's so much great advice here from young coaches. So I'm I'm excited to get this out to our coaches uh, sooner rather than later. So appreciate your time, Brian. Well, thank you, and and really mean thank you for what you do and what you guys are doing. Not only pet tennis but college tennis, and I know that. You know, it's not easy and everything looks easier from the outside until you're in there digging every day. <laughs> Everybody, sure. a lot of people trying hard. It's not easy no matter what anyone's yeah. trying to do at a high level. Yeah. And I know you guys are really trying well, hard. So. I appreciate anyway, it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, okay. man. Take Good care. luck this season. Cheers. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I look forward to doing a round two with Brian at some point in the future. Thanks for listening to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Mm-hmm.